Welcome friends, my name is Jonathan Reeder and I am the Community Life Pastor here at Friends Church in Orange. And we are so glad that you are checking out this message today. We hope that you find inspiration for your spiritual journey wherever you're at on that journey. We're just glad that you're here today. If you wanna find out ways to get connected here at Friends and be a part of our community, you can just check all that out on the website that you're on right now. Find out how you can be a part of what is happening here at Friends. We hope you enjoy this message and we hope that God blesses you through what you hear. Good morning. Good to see you guys, Jonathan. I love that you gave a little shout out to Full Circle, the meaningful marketplace uh, that really is the church in disguise uh, over in the plaza. Some of you have been there. I just say that because 10 bucks goes a really long way at that place. This is $10 at Full Circle, ladies and gentlemen, from the shoes to the shirt. Some of you are going, I know, those are my old shoes. And that's my shirt, and I just want to say thank you right at the top. About every few months, I just rotate my clothes at full circle. So really grateful for you guys. I want to encourage you to stop by. Uh, but as we continue today, I'm so glad that you guys are here. If this is your church, welcome back. If it is your first time here, uh, welcome. I believe, um, I believe that you're already getting a sense, first and foremost, of who God is and his love and his consistency and his faithfulness. And there's a powerful invitation he's going to give you. Uh, into a miraculous life with him today. Um, but there's so much energy and hope and joy, and I love, uh, that's gonna just continue as we talk about one of my favorite stories in the Bible, one of the most incredible stories in the Bible. Uh, but as we get started towards that, one of the things uh, that I think we all can agree on is that life is a series of problems. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? I mean, when you think about that, when you talk about that, you know that to be true, that life is a series of problems. And one of the ways that we engage problems, we start to think about them in our life, and we wonder, ah, oh, they're overwhelming, and sometimes they're, we think that they're just going to crush us, and they're going to collapse us. And even as we say the word problems, you start to think about, what are the problems that I have in my life, and what does that look like, and how am I going to navigate these? And just the word problems creates a whole sense of who we are and how we're going to navigate them. Right? You start to finish the sentence, and how am I going to get through whatever problem it is I'm facing? Even as we start, just you go, Kyle, you have no idea the problems I'm facing. You have no idea the week that I had and what that looks like. Right? And so I think that's part of the way the world sees problems. I just started looking as part of the message this week at the problems of life and what that looked like and how people dealt with problems and what that looked like. But as I began to unpack more of the story that God has for us, and as I started to think about um, what he wanted to say to us today, it became an invitation. And instead of seeing life as a series of problems, I started thinking, what if life is a series of miracles? And something different happens in us just when we say that, when we think that, right? You can feel it. I felt it this week. It changed and shaped a lot of the conversations that I was having with my family this past week. Both my boys were home just for a few days, and they had to go back to college, go back to sports, get everything going, and so our summer was really different, and we were thinking and talking about a lot of different things as they're growing up and becoming men, and a lot of it was problems, but then we started looking back at the story that God had written, written in their lives, written in our life as a family, written in my life, and it started thinking, look at how good God has been. Look at his faithfulness. Look at how he's delivered. Look at the surprises that we've gone through, and it just gives a whole different hope to what we have to look forward to. 
And so we can see life as a series of problems, or we can see life as a series of miracles. You see, that just invites a different way of thinking, a different way of believing, a different way of even acting in the choices that we make. It opens up a door of possibility and adventure, as opposed to feeling overwhelmed. So today, we're going to look at this story of hope and encouragement. It's an invitation to see life as a, as a series of miracles. And we're going to look in this passage, and you're going to get a very practical way to step into that kind of life, regardless of what problems you may be facing today. And I believe that God wants to encourage you and give you hope as you move forward. So I want to invite you guys, if you brought your Bibles, grab your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, you want to borrow one either for today or for the rest of your life, there are always Bibles in that back corner by the Next Step Center. Would love for you to have a Bible Way to just hear God, circle things, underline things. But Judges chapter 7, this may sound familiar to you. Because on Father's Day, we looked at Judges chapter 6. The story, right, of the Israelite people that were being totally oppressed by the Midianites. I showed you this picture of the Jezreel Valley, right? We're on Mount Carmel looking down at the Jezreel Valley. I'll take you there. Remember, I'm just inviting you all to go to Israel with me. December trip is filling up. But I will show you this. We will stand on Mount Carmel. We will look in the Jezreel Valley, and the Midianite people would come up into this valley, shove the Israelite people up into the mountains for seven years. Oppression. They would take all their crops, take all their food. They would take everything they owned for seven years. And so God finally said, enough, I've heard your cries, and I'm going to come and rescue you. He shows up to, anybody remember who? That's right, Gideon. I knew that you'd remember. Nobody remember. You're not going to remember at lunch today what I said right now. But here's the deal. So God shows up to Gideon. He says, I'm going to use you to save your people. Mighty warrior. And so Gideon has now rallied about 32,000 of the Israelite people. And he's getting ready to walk into this miracle that God's called him to. So Judges chapter 7, verse 1. It says, so Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and his army, they got up early and they went as far as the spring of Herod. I'm going to come back to that word in just a second. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Now, there's about 120,000 Midianite warriors, Midianite soldiers. So it was already 32,000 versus 120,000, which does not seem like a fair fight. And now all of a sudden, there's only 10,000 versus 120,000. This is a problem, right? And why? Because these people were timid. They were afraid. The spring of Herod, remember I said, remember that word? Comes from the Hebrew harad, which means to tremble. They named the spring after these scared people, the spring of trembling. That's what it was. And so 10,000 of them just leave. Verse 4, but the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. What? Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who's going to go with you and who won't. So all of a sudden, God's like, it's 10,000 versus 120,000. That's still too many. We got to thin it down a little bit more. So there's this spring that comes out of a cave and runs down through the valley. I'll show it to you. Just saying, December. So anyway, the spring comes out, and he said, take the the warriors down there, and here's what the test was that God led them towards. 
for the soldiers that kind of got down on their knees and all fours and they put their mouth and they drank with their mouth directly from the spring. Or some would kneel down and kind of cup the water and bring it to their mouth. And so here's what God says. He goes, for the ones that kneel down on all fours, drink with their mouth and stream, send them home. For the ones that cup the water and they drink from their hands, you keep those. Verse six, only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Can you imagine the problem that Gideon is facing in this moment? It was already challenging. 32,000 versus 120, and then 10,000 versus 120, and now it's 300 versus 120,000. Gideon has a problem on his hands. It's massive and it's daunting. It's overwhelming. You could imagine as the army got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, what must have been going not just through Gideon's mind, but even through those 300 that decided to stay. And just contextually, so you understand the scale, there's about 375 chairs in this room. Okay, so it's kind of like us in this room against the entire city of Orange, So there's about 120,000 people that live in the city of Orange. So imagine, that's what we're doing, right? We're rallying the troops. You guys ready to go? We're going to go take on everyone you see when you walk out these doors. Be like, wait, what? Like, that's crazy. And not only that, you you were just abandoned by 22,000 of your friends that walked away. So he has a massive problem. But it's not just a problem. This is a God-sized problem. Not just because it's beyond Gideon, but because God helped create the problem. If you think about it, God took away 9,700. He said, I'm going to test them and we're going to see. How many of you have ever heard God would never give you more than you can handle? That's a total lie. (laughs) Almost every story in the Bible says that. This one certainly God will always give you more than you can handle. God will always give you more than you can handle. And that's one of the things we see. God consistently gives us more than we can handle on our own. He regularly gives us. Why would he do that? Because it's an opportunity to trust. It's an opportunity to personally learn and experience more about who he is in our lives. It's an opportunity for our faith to grow and to get stronger and to see him rescue instead of us take control of a story. And we see that even here. God is what? The word test, when it says God says, I'm going to test them, the word test there, the root word is refine, purify. Well, what's he testing? What's he refining? What's he purifying? Their faith. I'm going to see. I'm going to make them more pure and more beautiful. And I'm going to make their faith stronger as a result of this test. We get to see God is never surprised by our humanity. He expects it. He's never surprised by our weaknesses or even by our failures. He knows we have limitations, but he doesn't. And so that's one of the things we see. We get to see 
Who are we depending on? Who are we relying on? When we see life as a series of problems, who's going to solve all those? And oftentimes, we think it's us. We think it should be us. But it's interesting because this this God-sized problem isn't just the Midianite army. It's not the people out there that they have to go to battle with. That's not even who God calls out. He was never intimidated by the army. Look at what it says in verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Well, what's God saying? You see, the problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. The problem isn't them. Oftentimes, the problem is you. It's me. It's us. They're going to think they did it. You'll think you did it. You'll think, you'll think you're strong enough. You'll think you're powerful enough. You'll think you're good enough. You'll think that you can do everything on your own. I can't have that. That's impossible. You're going to walk yourself right into pain. I would never want that. You see, sometimes the greatest problem isn't out there. Sometimes, more often, the greatest problem is in here. It's in our self-reliance. It's in depending on ourselves or on our own strength or on our own power, on our own wisdom or on our own bank accounts or on our own jobs or on our own influence or on our relational influence or on our charisma or whatever it is. We think it's on, it's on us. A lot of times, it's, it's pursuing comfort or pursuing safety or pursuing what's convenient over what God would call us to. It's choosing our, our own thoughts or our own thinking or our own opinions over what God might want to say to us or what he's doing in our lives or making sure that we're stopping long enough to listen to him and to fully trust him with our lives. See, sometimes the greatest problems we face aren't out there. They're actually in here. It's in our own thinking. It's in our own feeling. And so what's the, what's the problem or problems that you're facing today? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? We start to say, ah, life's a series of problems. What was it that just showed up right here? Maybe for some of you, it's an out there kind of thing. It's a health crisis. Doctors have shrugged their shoulders and said, there's nothing we can do. Maybe it's things going on at work. Maybe it's a financial crisis or a job loss. Maybe it's a relationship or someone's holding you hostage and just, there's unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment, maybe, maybe that's you and what you're doing to someone. Maybe. What's the problem that's right here that you're facing today? And what if it's not out there? What if it actually isn't here? What if it's maybe even some of the things that those things can produce in our lives? Maybe it's fear or worry or anxiousness. Maybe it's led us down a pathway of wanting to control something, so we've walked ourselves into some habits or behaviors or addictions that all of a sudden are holding us captive. Maybe it's biases or assumptions or doubts or fears that we have. Maybe the biggest problem we face isn't out there. Maybe it's, maybe it's in here. Maybe it's an obsession or an idol that you have in your life. Maybe it's comfort or convenience or safety. What's the problem? This week as I was wrestling with all of this and Wednesday, um, 
I meet with a group of guys, and then I meet with our teams as we go through the day. And that same day, you know, we're reading through the Bible in one year together as a church. Lots of you guys are doing that with us. And Nikki Gumbel is one of the pastors who does a lot of the commentary for it. And whatever the reading was that day, he just characterized it as, as problems and promises. And he was talking about problems and how do we view them and what does that look like and promises and how these things coexist side by side all the time and what are we going to focus on? And I just go, oh, that's really good. And it kind of resonated with me in this and I, I just kind of asked the teams and the, the rooms I was in, I go, what are the problems you're facing and what are the promises that you're holding on to? And as we went around and we're talking about these things, we started with the out there stuff, but I realized as I walked myself into that answer, I realized I'm my biggest problem. That's what I said. I'm like, I'm, I'm my problem. It wasn't the challenges of trying to find my way through conversations with my sons or my wife about being a father and a husband. and All of those things were products of it. it, it being a leader and being a pastor and being a friend and holding all these tensions and having deep, meaningful conversations about powerful things taking place in the world. And even in our lives, culturally, and faith, and where do those things enter, all of that stuff. But what I realized is, for me, I'm my biggest problem because there's so many things that exist. I just want control. And the way that that shows up for me is impatience. And I just want to move at something. And I want to grab a hold at something. And I'm going to do something because I can. It shows up as anger, shortness, with my wife, with my kids. I'll just cut conversations off. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I just walk away. You see all those challenges? I'm my biggest problem. And my bet is if you were honest, you are your biggest problem too. And the great news is God isn't surprised by that. He wasn't surprised by that by them. He's not surprised at that with me. It's not surprised at that with you, that it's an out there thing, that it's really an in here thing. And so all through the Bible, we always see that God has, he meets God-sized problems and he gives these God-sized promises. He says, I love you, I see you, I'm with you, I forgive you. He has compassion and care towards us. And we see, even in this, he had already given a promise to these people. He said, I'll rescue you and give you the victory. You see, that wasn't in doubt based on their response or their reaction. I'll rescue you. I'm going to give you the victory. And here's what's interesting, that, that God-sized promise you know, for that problem leads to one of the most creative solutions you can ever imagine. I love God's word. I love the Bible. I love the creativity that God puts on display about who he is. I think he just delights in like holy wonder and getting us just to take our minds off what we expect or what we think or know. And we see this unfold in, in verse 16. It says, he, Gideon, he divided the 300 men into three groups and he gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar. This is how they're going to go fight the battle. They've got a ram's horn, which essentially is a trumpet and a clay jar with a torch in it. No swords, no shields, no... Yeah, I mean, it's like, wait, what? You're doing what? And so that's what he gives everybody. And then he said, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do what I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the horns, blow your horns too. And all around the camp, just shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. That's the plan. 
Right, so we're rallying in the room, and here's the thing, we're gonna go fight the city, and you know, imagine it's like the street fair. Just to give you a sense, everybody's packed in, right, because they're all camped together, and they're all in this four block area, and so here's what he says, we're gonna surround everybody. So it's like, we're gonna take everybody, break some, we're gonna make a big old circle around just this big four, eight block area, and here's, just do what I do. Okay, what is that? All right, when I make a lot of noise, I want you to break your jar and shout, for the Lord and Gideon. Right, that's probably the amount of enthusiasm they had for the plan when Gideon shared it. They're like, wait, what? Like this is, he's like, yeah, let's go. So just after midnight, right, it's dark, everybody's quiet, they're finally just probably just getting to sleep and they're thinking, we've done this for seven years. The Midianites, they have so much more, so we got this. And so they're resting and everybody's sneaking around and then all of a sudden Gideon's like, all right, it's time. For the Lord of Gideon. And all of a sudden, all these you know, torches and everybody's shouting and screaming. And here's what happens. All the Midianite army, they start waking up, right? Imagine getting woken up by like an air horn. Like that's what's happening in these people's lives. They're like, what's going on? They draw their swords and they literally, because it's so dark and all the lights, they just start killing each other. They, kill, they end up killing off a bunch of the Midianite army and the ones that are left, they just run away because we're surrounded. There's no hope. They just walk away. Could you, could you imagine that's crazy, right? I mean, that's bizarre. And here's the thing. We see that a God-sized problem with a God-sized promise, it has to have a God-sized solution. There has to be a miracle. There has to be something impossible that's gonna lead us through this because there's no way we can do it on our own strength. There's no way we can imagine a scenario where 300 people are gonna overwhelm 120,000, but this is what he does, this creativity. You see, we think, and we expect, and we anticipate, and we design traditional answers to supernatural problems. And when we do that, we're limiting ourselves, right? We think we know, because that's all we can do. We think, oh, somehow these 300 people, they're going to turn into the Avengers. You know what I mean? You know how they just go, the one guy takes out 100, and it's like, that's what's going to have to happen. And God's like, no, no, no. Nobody's going to do anything. We're not even going to have weapons. It's going to be great. I need you to go Shout. What? This is crazy. You see, how God answers and delivers is oftentimes exceptionally creative. Exceptionally and out of the ordinary. And here's the thing. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what it must have been like to be one of those 300? I mean, just imagine for a moment. You're in this room. You've got this massive, daunting, overwhelming problem, this task. Somehow you've held on to your faith. You've remembered the stories. Here's the plan. You're thinking, oh boy, this is nuts. Okay. And you go out and all of a sudden you're blowing your horns and you're breaking the jars and the torches are there and you're screaming at the top of your lungs and everybody just starts running away. You'd be like, what? This is crazy. You'd tell your friend, right? You'd start looking at your buddy, go, what's happening? This is insane. And you'd start, and then what? You'd get to go back and you'd get to tell your family this story. They're like, what happened? How many did we lose? And you're like, none. Like, what happened? What'd you do? We just shouted. (laughs) What'd you do with my jar? Uh, I'm sorry, honey, I broke it. You know, it's like, that'd be the one tough moment. But it's like, you're going back and you're sharing just this adventure. And it's this story that you, of faith that you get to pass down to your kids. And here's the beauty. The whole community got to receive the miracle. They got to walk in the miracle. But imagine what it was like for the 300. 
And that's the invitation God's giving you to be one of the 300. You see, God's at work. God is doing miracles. God is showing up. You know what he's saying? Hey, you want to be one of the 300? You want to walk in it? So how would we do that? He shows us right in this passage. Three things. First one, you've got to be courageous. You have to choose courage. Right? We see one of the first things in verse 3. Whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. 22,000 of them walked away. The first step is just trusting God. And sometimes that means just to stay in it. Just stay in the fight. Just wait. Just believe. Just hold on to hope because of the miracles that he's done and that he is doing and that he will do. And this is one of the hardest things, right? And we know this, but all through the Bible, we're encouraged. One of the, uh, Paul writes to 2 Timothy, for God hasn't given us a spirit of what? Fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. You see, he's saying when you stay in it, when you take courage, when you hold on to hope, you're basically saying it's, this can't happen in or through me. I can't do this, but God, I believe that you can. And I believe that you will. And you stay in it. And you trust him. And you do everything you can just to listen to Jesus and follow him, even if he invites you into the most insane, crazy things. Okay, we're going to try that. So number one, you've got to be courageous. Number two, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. And here's the way we see this path. Remember that test that God gave them? A lot of theologians believe what happened in the armies that day is if you got down on all fours like this and were drinking with your mouth from the stream, you were totally and completely vulnerable. You couldn't see anything. You couldn't hear anything. You couldn't fight back. You couldn't do anything. For the for the soldiers that got down and were drinking with one hand, chances are they probably still had their hand on their sword and they're cupping the water and they're kind of like looking and drinking. And I was like, they were being careful. It's like, wait, you never know. The Midianites might attack. You never know. I'm going to be ready. And we see this all through God's word. So often he says, oh, Ephesians, you got to be careful. The days are evil. Right? Second... First uh, Peter 5 says, stay alert, be careful, watch out, because your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. You see, you always got to be careful. You always got to be on guard. Satan is going to come, and he's going to whisper, and he's going to lie, and it's just the subtleties that he's going to get you to compromise. Well, don't you deserve a little comfort? Don't you want to be safe? Don't you need, wouldn't it be more convenient if you chose that path instead of this one? Don't you think that, like just all the little lies and the whispers he's going to give, you got to be careful. You got to stay alert because here's the thing. He's not just, Satan's not just trying to get you to, to do something bad so you feel bad about yourself or he's actually looking to destroy you. He's looking to divide you and separate you, not just from God, but from one another. He's looking to devour and kill you. And so we got to be careful. You got to be courageous. You got to be careful. And then the last one we see is you got to be willing. 
You gotta be willing to be surprised by when God says it's time to take a step, you gotta be willing. Because it's probably gonna feel incredibly unconventional. It's probably gonna feel incredibly dangerous. It may feel really hard, but it probably is gonna be incredibly creative because here's what we see all the time, not just in this passage, God consistently deals in the impossible. So whether it's a health crisis or a job crisis or a financial crisis or whatever it is you're facing, you gotta remember, God deals in the impossible. When the world is saying that's impossible, there's no way, that's the perfect opportunity for God to do the miracle. Life is a series of miracles. This looks like the perfect opportunity. The Old Testament, how many stories do we read of the Red Sea part? Who heard of a sea parting? God, right? When Joshua was taking over this land that God promised, and he's got to take over a city, and they got to go fight a battle. How does he have him do it? Hey, I need you to walk, it, walk around that thing seven times, and then just the walls are going to fall. What? Some of you guys have heard these stories. Some of you are like, wait, these are real stories? Yes, they're real stories. They're real stories. The New Testament, we see all through the New Testament. In Luke, the Christmas story, one of the first ones, an angel shows up to a teenage girl, Mary, pledged to be married, not married yet, still a virgin. Hey, you're going to have a baby that's going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. That seems impossible. I know. God deals in the impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. It's what he tells her. Nothing's impossible with God. Of course this is possible. All the miracles we see Jesus do, how creative are they? We need to feed thousands of people, Jesus. All right, what do you have? Some bread and some fish? Great. Let me just start tearing that off. And it never stops. Thousands of people get fed. Blind people that want to see spits in the mud, rubs it on his eyes. Why don't you go wash that off? He could have just made a meal, but he does these creative, just spectacular things. Because people were willing to take these steps of faith. So what's the problem that you're facing? What's the problem that you're facing in your life? What's the thing that's right here that comes to your mind? What's the challenge? What are you wrestling with? Where do you see you in it? Where do you see your selfishness or entitlement or pursuit of safety or comfort or convenience or any of those things just kind of slowly putting you in control instead of just saying, God, I want to do what you want when you want and how you want and seeing it as a miracle that God wants God wants to do in your life maybe for some of you that literally means just waiting and the courage to just stay to stay in it maybe it's to stay in the marriage to stay in the conversation with your kids to stay in the conversation with your friend that you disagree with Maybe it's to stay in, the, in it in your job. Maybe it's to stay in it in an uncomfortable spot. Maybe it's to stay in it being single. Maybe it's to stay in it as you wrestle through hard things. Or maybe it's time to take a step. Maybe it's time to take a step. Maybe it's time to take a step towards prayer and let people love you and care for you the way we talk about every single week. Maybe it's time to take a step towards community and stop by the Next Step Center. Just take your next step of faith. Maybe it's time to take a step towards generosity with us. Write this incredible story in the world around us. Are you willing to believe that life can be a series of miracles?
Let me pray for you. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads? I don't know the challenge, the problem that you're facing today. But the great news is, God does. And he's not surprised by it. And he's not overwhelmed by it. And he cares deeply about it. So Father, I pray that you would continue to speak to every single person here today. I pray that you would help them to be courageous. Courageous in their faith, courageous in their trust, courageous in their belief that you see them and you care about them and you're with them. And you will speak and you will lead and you will guide in your way and in your time. Help them to be careful, to be able to separate truth from lies. And help them to be willing. God, for those that you're inviting just to stand firm and to wait, I pray that you would give them the strength and the patience. God, for those that you're calling to take a step of faith, I pray that you would help them with the humility and the courage that you give them to take a step of faith towards you and with you. Continue to speak to us and lead us as we listen and respond to you.